But growing up, I wasn't a whole lot about books, but the greatest book you could get your hands on growing up, especially like those middle school, junior high years, was the Guinness Book of World Record. Anybody remember that book, getting that book? I mean, that was pretty amazing. And just as you held that as a young kid, you kind of dreamed, can, would it be awesome to be the world's greatest at something? I mean, to be known for something as the greatest in all of the world. And it became a little bit of a freak show. They had like pictures of the people in there with the longest beard or the one that always creeped me out the most was the longest fingernails. I mean, what in the world? Trim those things, right? I mean, what was that all about? So this morning, I'm going to embark on making it to the Guinness Book of World Records and preach the longest sermon. No, I won't. I promise you. We really won't. But again, there's some records that you never would want to have. There's some things you don't want to have next to your name. And one of them, a guy named Thomas Silverstein, uh, has a record you would never want to own. It's time spent in solitary confinement in a federal prison. How about that one? He spent at one time 35 years, the most of 35 years in a federal prison by himself. Solitary confinement is really the most dehumanizing punishment of all forms of punishment. Why? Because we were created to be in community. You know, the reality is, is if you want to drive someone crazy and bonkers, you take away connection. You make them be alone. Tom Hanks did a masterful job, did he not? I mean, you know where I'm going to go if you've seen it. But if you've seen the movie Castaway, showing us the struggle just to be alone. I mean, he's going he's gonna to name a volleyball Wilson and hang out with that. But you don't have to be on a deserted island to feel like a castaway, do you? And you don't have to be in solitary confinement to feel alone. Can you relate to the dehumanizing power of being alone? Let me ask you the question. Do you feel alone today? And if so, I'm just really glad you're here. Because I know there's days, even with a life that's filled with so much, that that loneliness still creeps in. I'm just so glad you're here. But the reality is this, that God has created you and he's created me. He's created us for community. That God has hardwired us. He's hardwired us to be connected. We are hardwired. We are made to be connected with God. But there's more than that. We are made to be connected with one another. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is so profoundly good because it tells us the good news that God in his son Jesus is going to rewire us, reconnect us to God and to one another. This morning, we're going to be focusing on our fourth core value. If you've been here, God bless you for our four weeks. Every week, we've looked at a different core value of our church, King's Chapel. And the core value this morning is community-driven, together on mission for Christ our King. We're going to look at two main points this morning. We're such a new church, we haven't got up to three points yet. We're just going to try to work our way up to there. Um, I know, wasn't that funny? All right, we are going to talk about being created to be in community. You were created to be in community with God and others. And also, you were created to impact community. 
to make a difference. And these are the two things we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start uh, at a place at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. A little bit of a different sermon this morning is we're going to springboard here and look at the bigger text of the Bible, the bigger narrative story of being created for community and impact community. But I want you to hear these words because these words are so amazingly precious. They're inspired by God, but they're words that describe who you are if you're a Christian and who I am. Now, the words may sound strange to us. We don't use these in everyday language, but I want to tell you a little bit about these words. They weren't just made up by Peter. These were the words that Moses used, that God gave Moses to describe his people. So here's the deal for all of God's people, from those from the beginning to those at the end. This is the way he describes us. This is who he calls us. It's on page 589 in your Bible if you're using the one we gave you. Hear the word of the Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own treasured possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I, er, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which weigh war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, the way you see us and who you call us, you call us your own. That's incredible. Before you created anything, you set a love upon your people. You chose us to be yours in Christ Jesus. You've made us to be holy. You've set us apart because of Christ Jesus. You've given us a job as a royal priesthood to live a life of sacrifice, a living sacrifice for you. What joy. God, you have made us in your image for yourself and for one another. You've created us and redeemed us in the blood of Christ to make an impact on the world that you've created. Oh God, we thank you for your word that instructs us, your spirit that empowers us, and the gospel that gives us life. Come and join us now. Oh God, open up our ears to hear your voice. Open up our minds to understand your word. Open up our eyes to see the beauty of your son and the beauty of relationships with one another. The God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to, to make us more like your son, our savior? Would you use those things to empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? We pray this in that matchless name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing I want to look at this morning is that we are created to be in community. And first and foremost, we're created to be in community with God. That's how he's wired us. That's how he has made us. In the very beginning of the story of the Bible, in the very beginning, in the very first chapter, we have some amazing news from God. He says that we, male and female, we've all been created in the image of God. This got such ramifications for this. Now, because of the reality, we reflect who God is. Every life in the womb, outside the womb, 
filled with Alzheimer's, whatever condition, is of great value because it reflects God, right? But we were created in God's image tells us that we were created for community. How does it do that? Well, God has existed forever in eternal community. There's always been a community with God. There's always been Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's never been a moment in time that God has not existed in community. He has always enjoyed that fellowship. The only time that fellowship was ever broken was on the cross when Jesus would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did it so he'd pull us in. But you see, God making us in his, his image has given us great worth, but it's also has created us to be in community as he is in community. By the way, last week, Spirit Empowered, we unpacked a little bit about what the Trinity is, this triune living God. It's online if you want to listen to that. But God, uh, again, has made us with that implication because he lives in community. He's created us to be in community, first and foremost with him. But he also has made us for his glory, that he made us for himself. We're made by God and we're made for God. Augustine, I love Augustine. Maybe you've heard his name. Uh, He lived in the 300s. Um, one of my favorite church history guys, maybe because he was born on November 13th. So was I. You laughed, you know that. So I expect cards and letters from me on the 13th now. But a guy that I could relate to, a guy that was a mess, a guy who had a godly mother who led him to the Lord, but wasn't sure about Jesus for a while, wanted to kind of fill his life up with good things. And the, but man, when he came to Christ, he came to Christ. And his conversion, man, it, it, it had a huge impact. But he wrote this book called The Confessions. And in it, he has a quote. I bet you've heard it if you've been around Christendom. He says this. He says about God, Thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. I know it's old English. Lean into it again. It's really cool. He says, God, you've made us for yourself. And our heart will forever be restless until it finds its rest in thee. He's basically saying, God, you made us for yourself. And we'll never figure out who we are until we figure out who you are. And we'll never be at rest until we know you. The writer of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite verses, Ecclesiastes 3.11, it's kind of random. It says this, that God put eternity in our hearts. Let me ask you a question. What fills eternity? (laughs) I love that reality. God has put eternity in your hearts. Do you wonder why the world can't fill all your aches and pains? Do you wonder why no matter what happens in your life, you still have a longing and there's still a longing for more? It's because you were created for God. You were created for paradise. We're not there right now. And the only thing that could fill the eternity in our hearts is God himself. We were created for him. Our hearts will forever be restless until we find that void in our hearts with God. That's why Jesus would say this. He says, are you weary? Are you heavy burdened? Are you troubled? Come to me. Come to me. Why? Because my burden is easy. My my yoke is light. Come to me and guess what? You're going to find rest for your souls. So so the rest that we long for, the rest that we were created for, we find in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus would say in John 14, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. And the only way that we find God is we know God's Son. And we are, again, brought into community with Him. We were created for God, but we have this huge problem. We were created for Him and by Him, but we got this problem called sin the things of what we don't do that God has asked us to do, the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the things that God asks us not to do, the things that we're doing. Sin, 
Sin will always isolate, always separates. Sin drove us from the God who made us and made us for himself. What does sin cause us to do? It causes us to hide from God. Again, early in the story of the Bible, it's incredible. It took three chapters for us to mess up. Just, just three. In the third chapter, we have this fall of man and sin. And after we sinned and we're separated from God, guess what we try to do? We try to hide from him. In the cool evening, God is showing up like he always does to hang out with his creation, Adam and Eve. And he's like, hey guys, where are you? He knew where they were. We were hiding. Why would you hide from God? Because you sinned. You see, sin causes us to try to hide. Hide from a God who's omnipresent, who's omniscient. Good luck with that one. But Jesus came to say, hey, I'm going to restore that fellowship, bridge that gap, reconnect us so we don't have to hide from God through his life, his death, his resurrection, and that only way that our hearts can truly rest in him. And Jesus was going to provide a sacrifice for us. It's interesting in the garden, when they, uh, when they realized that they were exposed, when they realized that they, they were they seen as who they are, they realized they were naked. They realized they were vulnerable. Sin is the way to do that. So let's, let's cover ourselves up. So they made these fig leaves. It didn't really work. God's like, what are you doing? Well, we messed up. We sinned. We're afraid of you now. We're, we're afraid of each other. We don't want each other to see. We realize that we're exposed to each other. So what does Jesus do? What does God do? Even in Genesis 3, it's amazing. He says, those fig leaves aren't going to work. I'm going to cover you. And he makes a sacrifice and he covers them in the skins of an animal. And you know what all that is? is a foreshadowing of the cross. That God is going to say, the sin that separates us from a holy God, he's going to take care of. He's going to blot it out, we talked about earlier. He's going to nail it all to the cross, all of it. And all the things that separate you, he's going to robe you in righteousness. And the gospel is the good news that we are again reconnected to God. The question is, has your heart found rest in God? Augustine was right. Our hearts are forever going to wander until they find their rest in him. And the only way they find rest in God is find your rest in Jesus. That he is enough. How is it with you? Are you connected to him? Are you resting in him? God has made us for himself. But more than that, God has made us for one another. The Bible in Genesis 1 tells us how God created everything out of nothing. And so talk about and the most incredible artist ever, God himself creates all things out of nothing. And here's what he uses, is the power of his word. God speaks and cosmos come into existence. God speaks and life comes. It's incredible how powerful his word is. And he creates all things and he looks back on that, on that seventh day and says, you know what, that's pretty darn good. Look at those mountains, look at those sea, look at all the things I've created. But do you know that in paradise there was one thing not good? How could there be anything not good in paradise? God created man in his own image. God created him to reign and rule over all things, male and female, in his image. And yet he says there's one thing that's not good about the story. And this is unbelievable to me because God had made us to be, have a relationship with him. And even before that relationship was broken by sin, the one thing was not good is that we were alone. So God says, I'm going to make a helpmate. I'm going to make woman. I'm going to make you connected for one another. God, listen, it's incredible. Even in paradise, you were connected. You were wired to be connected to God and be connected to one another. But again, 
that sin causes us to hide from God, that sin causes us to hide from one another. Immediately in the garden, they felt exposed. I mean, they were insecure and vulnerable. They tried to cover themselves up. How is it with you? Do you feel vulnerable? Do you feel insecure? I mean, if you're really, really known, do you kind of shudder? If people really, really knew you, where they wouldn't like you and love you, if they really knew the truth about you, do you try to cover it up? Do you try to mask it, try to be a little bit more righteous or try to do things that other people won't see the reality of who you are? That's like a bunch of fig leaves, right? Everything that we try to cover up, Christ is going to cover up for us in the gospel. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, that's why he described himself, the one who uh, would lean closest to Jesus. He not only wrote the gospel of John, he wrote some letters, the epistle of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And in that first epistle he wrote, in 1st John 3, uh, he talks about that God has come for us to have fellowship. The gospel is that we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. You see, that's what the gospel does. It restores us to a relationship with God and it restores us to a relationship with one another. Paul will say it this way in Ephesians 2. The dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, what divides us between Seminole and Gator, what divides us in any way, shape, or form, it's been knocked down through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The dividing wall is gone. God has made you to love the person sitting next to you. God has made you to be in community, not just to be a church where you come and go, but for us to be connected to one another. The reality is, is all of us long to be known, all of us long to be loved, and all of us long to be valued by God and others. One of the things I've learned through 32 years of marriage and a good amount of marriage counseling is the power to know that when you can say to your spouse, I see you, I see you, oh, I get it. That's why you think that way. That's why you're, I see you. I can see where you are. And when I say I see you is what I'm saying is you're known. I kind of get it. And then if you can make that next step to say, not only do I see you, I love you. I love you for who you are. You even don't ever change. I, I, I love you. You're loved and you're valued. I'm telling you, it took a sinner like me a long time to get there. I'm not always there. But I taste heavenly manna. When in a marriage relationship, I could say, ah, I see you, and I love you. I value you. And it makes me realize that's the way God feels about us. I see you. I know you. I love you. You're valued. That's why 1 Peter 2.9, he uses this language. God calls us his own. Is that incredible? He owns it all anyway. But he says his own. We're his treasure. We are God's chosen race. No matter what the mirror tells you, no matter what your shame and brokenness tells you, listen to what God tells you. You in Christ Jesus, a chosen race. He's basically saying you're known. He knows about you. He knows your stuff. He knows your junk. He knows the darkness. He knows how many times you've fallen and failed. He knows how many resolutions you haven't kept. He knows you. You are known by the God of the universe. But there's more than that. You're a holy nation. You're set apart. You're a treasured people. You're known and you're loved. He calls you beloved, his bride. But there's more than that. He's not just known and loved. You're useful. You're a royal priesthood. A priesthood who represents God to the people and the people to God. That we are that. 
not just one tribe. We as his people are a royalty of King Jesus. We are the priest of, 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 to fill the earth, the book of Revelation will tell us, with his glory. We were recreated and recreated in Christ to be known, loved, and valued in community of believers. Colossians 3. I'm going to show you what Colossians says about this. This is where Paul picks this up a little bit different. Um, Colossians 3 in verse 12. Paul is talking about now that we are in Christ, put on Christ, put on this new identity. It says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, that's us, holy, set apart, not because of our holiness, but because of his, and beloved. Just sit there, sit in that. God's chosen one, holy, beloved. Let him whisper that in your ear. Let him put his arm around you and call you holy, chosen, beloved. Because of that, he says, uh, comp- uh, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And look at this. Put on all these things. Why? Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, another forgiving each other. As the Lord God has forgiven you, so you also also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, in which you were called one body, and be thankful. He's basically saying this, because of who you are, because you're chosen, because you're holy, because you're loved, love one another. Here's the ramification. Be connected to one another. Bear with one another. Are there some people it's hard to bear with? Is there people hard to hang with? Are there people here that are hard to love? You know they are. But what we say is because of the gospel, because of what God has done for you, the reality is now put on Christ. Live in community with one another. Not only were we created to be in community with God and one another, we were created to be, uh, to impact community. We were created to make a difference for where we are, for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. That's, that's our motto. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? Um, it's for the glory of our great God. We are here for him, okay? And we are here for the good of our neighbor. You want to know your purpose? That's it. That's why God has created you, to make a difference. Um, in the book of Jeremiah, prophet that lived a long time ago, in some really hard times, God's people had messed up so much they were exiled. And exiled in the Bible is the worst it can get. It's like the death penalty for a football team. It's bad, right? They're kicked out of the land, they're thrown out, but God never gives up on his people. He always says, by the way, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. You can do all that stuff. But he writes to his people and he writes to them in Babylon. If you're reading the Bible and you hear the word Babylon, it's not the place you want to be. It's usually the personification of evil and away from God. And so here are God's people. They're in Babylon. They're in exile. It's bad stuff. In Jeremiah 29, he writes a letter to them, says, by the way, to the exiles in Babylon, here's how I want you to live in that pagan land. Verse four, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is bad news. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And listen to these words. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Did you hear what God just said? Where I have placed you, I want you to seek the welfare of that city. In its welfare and prosperity will be your welfare and prosperity. Here's the point. Jesus says, I want you to be light in the darkness. You're the light of the world. How dark is the world? 
You're the light of the world. I want you to bring order to the chaos. Why? Because you're the salt of the earth. I want you to bring beauty to everything that is void. Why? Because you're a city on a hill. You know the answer to a broken, disgusting world? We are. We are the message and the messengers that God hasn't given up. That we're the city of a hill that's supposed to give life. And how do we do that? By the way we love him, the way we love one another, and the way we seek the welfare of the city in which he's placed us. You know, I love the fact that in our DNA as a new church is that we, we are trying to be a blessing to our community. And recently there was a shower for a young lady that was having twins and she didn't know that she was having uh, pregnant. She didn't want to necessarily be pregnant. Um, she decided to keep these twin boys and add to her family. And so there was a, uh, a beautiful shower that King's Chapel sponsored for her that, that our congregation got together they said, we're going to love on uh, these, these, this, this family. I think there's one more set of pictures here. Uh, I love this picture. Um, one of the things she got, they're big Seminole fans. They, get, they made a, uh, a blanket. Uh, I think Suzette. Suzette made a blanket for FSU, and she was like bawling that she could be loved that well. You know what that is? It's seeking the welfare of the city in which God has placed you. It's be a city on a hill. You know, we, uh, after uh, communion that we had last time, we gave a communion to, uh, to those, uh, we, I'm sorry, we gave an offering to those uh, that were affected by uh, Hurricane Dorian. And we gave all that, every penny of it, to Samaritan Purse, to go to a mailbox yesterday and get a letter of thank you to a place called King's Chapel. Thanks for giving. I mean, that's being a city on a hill. That's, that's what God has called us to do. May we do that more and more and more. In your bulletin, you'll find a connection card. We're a new church, and there's going to ask you ways. How do we get connected? How are ways you can serve? We need help. I mean, this, we, we transform this place every week into our own. Um, it's amazing. We want to do things that reach in the community. Will you look at that insert card and just ask God, how can you be connected? We're about ready to launch in these community groups. And now is the time for you to be connected. I know your life is busy. I know you don't need one more thing in your life. You don't. I would agree with you. You might have to drop something. But the reality is you've got to be connected to God and one another. You have to be. God has wired you for that. The world is going to get you so busy that you'll miss him and you'll miss one another. You have gifts and blessings that we need to have. You know, uh, last, last Sunday, Katie and I had a great joy. We went down to, uh, the first time I'd been to Dr. Phillips' new uh, performing arts center. Finally got an invite down there. Uh, it was awesome. It was, it was the story of my brave. And what it really basically was, there's was about 12 or 13 people who had struggled with different kinds of mental illnesses. And a dear friend of ours um, was going to share her story. And it was so brave of her. I mean, she, she shared about some postpartum depression. And again, as a Christian, sometimes you're not supposed to have these things. But that's not true. We all still are going to go through some difficult things, even as believers. And they stood up and she shared her story. And I was so proud of her for sharing um, the darkness and the fact that she wouldn't let that win and how brave it was. And, and to have people get up and share their story of their mental health struggles. It was powerful. It was powerful to hear uh, their struggles. And I know that each one of us could relate to them. But you see, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power to tell our brave story. Maybe not in front of an audience, but the power to share 
Why? Because you have a story to share. Because you're made in the image of God. And you are loved. You're a chosen race. You're known. You're a holy nation. You're loved. You are a royal priesthood. You're valued. Your brave story needs to be shared. It needs to be shared in community. It needs to be celebrated. May God bless King's Chapel. And may this be a place that people can be real. May this be a place where people can be known. Listen, no mask here. No pretending until we get it right. If it's true that we're chosen and we are loved and we are valued, that's enough in Christ Jesus. And we've got to lock arms and remind one another of that reality. This church needs to be a safe place to be brave. This church needs to be a safe place to shine for him. Amen? Let's pray. And Father God, we thank you that you've made us in your image. You've created us for yourself to be a community. And God, not only that, but you've created us for one another. It's incredible that in paradise, when we had you and no sin, it still wasn't good. It wasn't enough. The story was incomplete. We had to have one another. And so, God, I pray for this church as we begin, that, God, that the gospel would be the power of God to reconnect us to you, because you hardwired us for yourself, that we would live for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, that, God, that we would be serious about being connected to one another, that we would bear with one another, we would love one another, we'd be connected to one another, we would share one another's stories, because we're loved and we're yours. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.